Okay, good morning. We continue with our learning of Parsha of Chumash Sefer Dvarim. We have the privilege of beginning the fifth and final book of the Torah. Dvarim can be found in the Stone Chumash on page 938. And we continue to dedicate our learning now, Li'iloi Nishmas, in the loving memory of the 53 Kedoshim, 53 soldiers who gave their lives defending our homeland, and in the merit of our soldiers that they uh, be safe and secure as they provide safety and security for the Jewish people, for our brothers and sisters in Israel and throughout the world. In a week, you say 7.15? Right, 7 o'clock. We change the time. Tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. We have to have enough time before Mincha. 7 o'clock what? is a shloshim for the three boys who were murdered. Hashem Yikom Damam. Uh, a shloshim siyam. We're making a siyam in their memory, as well as a prayer rally with the media. So we need a lot of people. 7 o'clock tomorrow night here at the Boker Aton Synagogue. Sefer Dvarim. We'll uh, do our normal overview of the parsha and then delve into our psukim. Dvarim is called uh, by our rabbis Mishnah Torah. It's the repetition of the Torah. Because Sefer Dvarim does not contain much that is new, so to say. Of course, it's all new. But Sefer Dvarim is a recap. Moshe Rabbeinu, in the end of his life, Jewish people now stand. Really, the Torah ended at the end of Bamidbar. Really, the story of the travels to the desert concluded at the end of Bamidbar. Sefer Dvarim, the Jewish people stand on the cusp of entering the land. They stand about to enter Eretz Yisrael, and Moshe gives a monologue, he delivers a soliloquy. And in it, like a good parent at the end of their life, who anticipates the end of their life, they try to uh, encourage, give a charge to his children. Moshe turns to us, the Jewish people, and says, I want to recap for you uh, what you did wrong, I want to recap for you the mistakes that you made, so that you can identify what caused them and avoid them in the future, and uh, when you go into Israel, not succumb to the same misgivings, same shortcomings, and the same failures. So Mishnah Torah is called the Mishnah Torah. What's remarkable about Sefer Dvarim, what's remarkable about the Mishnah Torah is its timelessness, its significance and relevance in perpetuity. Sefer Dvarim resonates for us Ad Hayom until today. The opening words, page 938. These are the words that Moshe spoke to all of the Jewish people on the other side of the Yardin. Rav Asher Weiss, the Minchas Asher, points out, quotes from the Chazeh of Lublin, who interprets these words, These are the words Moshe spoke to the entirety of the Jewish people, Kol Yisrael, says the Holy Chazeh of Lublin. That means to say that Sefer Dvarim, these words of Moshe, speak to every Jew in every generation and in every situation. Each person, every one of us, can find a personal message in Sefer Dvarim. When you read about some of the laws, it's about reading laws. When you read about some of the history earlier in the Torah, it's about reading the history. But when you read Sefer Dvarim, we are essentially reading a Musar Sefer. Moshe Rabbeinu, the quintessential Musar personality, as great as Rabbi Yisrael Salanter Zatzal was, in introducing us to Musar, as great as some of our, uh, the, the uh, wonderful Musar Sefarim that we have, Masil Sesharim, or more contemporary times, Revol Bezatzal, and others. But nevertheless, Moshe Rabbeinu, we shouldn't say, oh, Moshe Rabbeinu, he taught us Chumash, he taught us Halacha, he taught us Parsha. But Musa, Rabbi Sol Salanter, oh, the Ramchal, oh, Revolbe, they taught us Musa. No, a person has to uh, realize that Moshe Rabbeinu himself was the quintessential Musa personality. Moshe Rabbeinu himself gave us that message. And that's what, why Dvarim begins the way it does. Eila Dvarim Asher Diber. Moshe El Kol Yisrael. Every one of us should read Dvarim looking for the personal message there is for us. The Yehudi HaKadosh of Pshischa would study Sefer Dvarim every day. And he referred to it as his Musar Sefer. It's quoted in Preet Sadek. He called it his Musar Sefer. Sefer Dvarim. 
it's uh, Moshe's rebuke, it's Moshe's Musr to us. The Netziv writes that if a person pays close attention to the Musr in Sefer Dvarim, spoken by Moshe Rabbeinu with Ruach HaKodesh, will find inspiration, says the Netziv, as sweet as milk and honey, appropriate to our own situation. So whatever challenges we're going through in life, whatever admonishment, whatever encouragement we need in our own lives, it can all be found in Sefer Dvarim. Moshe found the words that are so relevant and timeless, not only for the people in the Midbar, but for us Ad Hayom Hazeh. So pay close attention. While it seems redundant and repetitive, while it's called Mishnah Torah, what all we seem to do is review what happened earlier. Moshe Rabbeinu is the one who captures this in his uh, own way, and in it has messages uh, that remain timeless for us. So Moshe begins with a veiled rebuke. He uh, identifies and lists off a number of places in the, uh, in the Torah where they traveled. And what he's saying is not only the journeys, that we covered at the end of last, that we covered in last week's parasha, Masay. In the Masay Ben Yisrael, we spoke about it last week, the 42 stops that we had. Why does Moshe begin by reminding them of where they were? Why specifically these places? And uh, Rashi tells us, And from here we learn a very powerful lesson about giving feedback. The harsher, the more explicit, the more overt, the stronger the feedback, the less the likelihood it will be received the less likelihood it will be embraced or followed. The more nuanced, the more veiled, the not stronger but the softer, the more we maintain the honor and the dignity of the other, the more likely that it will be heard. And now we, you know, we think of the term rebuke, we think of it as a biblical term. Right? When do you use the term rebuke? Really, but it's, it's, it's feedback. Whether it's feedback in our marriages, whether it's feedback to our children, whether it's feedback to our, our co-workers, whether it's feedback to our friends. You come at somebody in a confrontational manner and they're going to shut down. But if you veil your reference, if you make it, if you get your message across without overtly or explicitly rebuking the person, but they understand what you're trying to say, the much greater the likelihood it will be received. And that's learned, that's the first piece of Musr that we learn from the great Baal Musr, Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe did not, in his final monologue to the people, say, you lowlife, no good, oisvarfs, look at the terrible things that you did. You did this here, and you did that there, and you complained here, and you complained there. No. He said, remember when we were over here? And remember the time we spent over there? And remember what happened over here? And they understood what he was referring to. They understood they were reminded of the mistakes they had previously made and the importance of not repeating them. I think those last words in Rashi are the most critical. Mibnei kvodon shel Yisrael. It's not just that we veil our rebuke. It's not just that we temper our words so that it will be heard. But it's to maintain the dignity and the honor of the other person. When you undress somebody, what's it, why is it called, you know, if you, if you give a harsh rebuke, it's called, you give them, you're dressing them down, you've undressed them in public. Why, why do we use that term in our vernacular? You've humiliated somebody, right? If you, if you take someone apart, if you give them a harsh rebuke, you've undressed them. You leave them feeling naked. You've just exposed their shortcomings, their warts, their pimples, their blemishes. Let them keep their clothing on, so to say, metaphorically. Stay dressed and give the rebuke without having to reveal all of their blemishes. This is the 40th year. Yes. Right. Good. So first of all, not all Dormidbar died. 
the tribe of Levi lived, there were others who lived. But second of all, these are the second generation, these are the children, he's reminding collectively of those who are younger than a certain age didn't die, and they're now adults. He's not rebuking, he's reminding that the collective, the, the national mistakes that we made since the birth of our nation. Since Har Sinai, until now, it's been 39 years, and uh, in our short time we've made mistakes, and this is what we need to learn from it. And we should learn from our mistakes, our parents' mistakes are our mistakes. It's not the mistakes of the individual, it's the mistake of the collective, of the nation as a whole. Of the nation as a whole. Okay, we continue the appointment of judges, page 940. Again, we're just trying to give the overview here. Moshe says at that time, I can't alone, I cannot alone carry you. Where did Moshe get that idea that he alone could not carry them? He came from Yisro. His father-in-law gave him that feedback. If you try to do it all, you're going to neglect people. They'll fall through the cracks. You cannot do it. You cannot do it all. Moshe says, Top of 942. He says, reminiscent, or it's always read, Parshish Dvarim is always read right before Tishabav. That same word, Eicha. Moshe said Eicha, and Yermio said Eicha, and we have a third who said Eicha. You know the third is who said Eicha? The third, I should say, it, it appears. Yeshaya, Yermio, and Moshe, but Eicha appears a fourth time. Not in the form of Eicha, but with different punctuation. Ayeka. Ayeka. Bali Musa tell us that if we don't answer the call of Ayeka, we're going to say Eicha. How could it be? The connection between Ayeka and Eicha. Ayeka, where are you? Where are you? If we don't answer the call of Ayeka, we'll be destined to say Eicha. How could it be? So Eicha asolav adit ha'chachem ma'asem v'rivchem. Moshe says, how can I alone carry your tarchachem u'masachem v'rivchem? Burdens, your contentiousness, your qualities. What are each of these things? These are not the psukim I wanted to look at today, but just quickly. Tarchachem says Rashi, Melamet Shahi Yisrael Tarchanim. Hayachad Mehem Roaz Baldino Notzech Notzech B'Din Omer Yeshli Eden Lavi Yeshli Rais Lavi Mosav Ani Alechem Dayanim. Tarchachem the burdens. Masachem Melamet Shahi Apikorsim. The Jewish people were Apikorsim. What does it mean to be an Apikoros? What's an Apikoros? An Apikoros is a heretic. I'll tell you a great story about Apikoros. The story of the famous Vilna Apikoros and the young enlightened Maskil who went to go visit him. The young Maskil heard about the famous Vilna Apikoros. He thought he had finally found a mentor, found a mentor, a teacher, a Rebbe, someone who could school him in the ways of modernity. So the Maskil traveled, he saved money and he bought a ticket and he took the train all the way to Vilna with great anticipation. And he began asking for the Vilna Apikoros. So he went to look for him in the cafes, in the bars. In the, where would you find an Apikaris? No one, it seems, had heard of him. Finally, someone said, go to the Jewish quarter. So somewhat surprised. You, know, you didn't expect to find the Vilna Apikaris hanging out with the Jews. But he went to the Jewish quarter. He stopped a number of people. He said, where can I find the famous Apikaris? So someone who he found knew the man. He said, sure, you'll find him in the base Medrash. So the young Moscow was even more surprised. But he continued. He went to the base Medrash in Vilna. And he asked the person at the door, do you know the Vilna Apikaris? So the man said, sure. You see that table in the back, the large pile of Svarim, the man sitting diligently learning? That's the Vilna Apikaris. So now this young Maskil was very baffled. Right? He walks to the back of the study hall. It's an Apikaris. He stood at the table with a beard. He saw the man at the table with the beard studying Gemara. Maskil summoned up the courage. And he said, are you the famous Vilna Apikaris? 
So Apicarius looked up and he said, Yes, indeed, I am. So Maska lost it. And he yelled at him. I came all the way from Vilna to learn Apicarsus from you. And here I find you sitting, pouring over, over these ancient Gemaras. I've wasted my time. So the Apicarius looked up and he sadly replied to the young Maskil, The difference between me and you is that I'm an Apicarius, but you, my friend, you're an Amhaaretz. <laughs> you're an ignorance. <laughs> right? So to be an Apicarius, you have to be somewhat of a Tamachachom. Apicarius means you know and yet you deny. You're a heretic. And I'm an Aretz, right? Most of the people Apicarism in our generation don't measure up to be an Apicarist. They're Staman and I'm They don't know anything. It's not Apicarsis. So what does it mean here? Rashi says, Apicarsis. Masachem alamachai Apicarsim. So I would have expected to go on. What should Rashi say? What's the Apicarsis? They denied Hashem. What does Rashi say? Hikdim Moshe Lotes, Amram Marah ben Amram Lotes. Shema ain't a shuffle. They saw Moshe leave his tent, go to work. They saw his car in his parking spot from early in the morning to late at night. And what they say, these apikarsim, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu must have some shalom bias problems. Things must not be so good at home that he never wants to be in his tent. They saw his car parked in his driveway at home. What did they say? What's he scheming? Why isn't he working? We pay him to be at the shul. What's he doing at home? <laughs> so the Apikursim were cynics. They were skeptics. They sat and they constantly challenged and undermined Moshe Rabbeinu. Rashi tells us they had sarcasm and cynicism and suspicion. But it's very, it's very puzzling because I thought Apikurus meant, bless you, Apikurus meant a heretic. Gemara Sanhedrin, Datsadi Tess, has a machlokus. Rav says an Apikurus is someone who's mevazet hamidichachamim. If you disparage, you embarrass a tamachacham, you're an apikaris. Rabbi Shur Levi says, an apikaris is one who's mevazet chavero, in front of a tamachacham. The Rambam writes in his parish on the Mishnah that apikaris is an Aramaic word. The root of apikaris is hefker. It's an Aramaic word coming from hefker. It means someone who makes Torah and those who study it hefker ownerless and random and chaotic who has no respect, who dismisses and disregards the messages of Torah the ones who learn Torah the ones who stand for Torah some say not like the Rambam that it's Aramaic but some say it shares a Greek etymology with Epicurean Apicorus Epicurean represents a rabbinic condemnation of ancient Greek ideas and the ancient Greek ideas you'd call that person Apicorus, they're following Epicurean philosophy so so why, why is uh, Rashi say that Masachem uh, here means apikursus? They were cynical and they uh, had all kinds of suspicion and challenged Moshe Rabbeinu. So I want to suggest that maybe apikursus means pshuto kemashmao. Apikursus means you deny Hashem. Why? And how does it fit into these opinions in the Gemara? Kirsch Baruch God created the world and He implants a piece of Himself in every one of us. Every one of us is Nivra B'Tselem. We are created, B'Tselem Elohim. We are created in the image of Hashem. Every one of us is a unique expression of God in this world. When you embarrass, when you disparage, when you're cynical, when you're sarcastic, when you undermine and undercut someone else, another human being, B'Tselem Elohim, what you're denying is their godliness. It's, her- it's heresy. It's heresy. If you can marginalize, if you can dismiss a human being as worthless, then you're essentially denying the godliness in him. 
you're essentially disregarding that there is godliness in every one of us. So when you're mavaza in front of a tamachacham or you mavaza a tamachacham, or they had suspicion about Moshe Rabbeinu, so they were essentially the apikorsis in their suspicion was that they're denying the uniqueness of Hashem in every one of us. When we mistreat others, we're essentially denying Hashem. That is a form of apikorsis. Just as an aside, why do we even get to our psukim yet? Why do we say um, the quintessential prayer of uh, the mourner is what, what tefillah, what prayer do we associate with mourning? Kaddish. Kaddish. Does it speak about death in Kaddish? No. Not once. There's no theme of death in Kaddish. So why is Kaddish the tefillah of the mourner? I once heard Dr. Lamb should uh, be well gave a, uh, a beautiful interpretation. Yiskadal v'yiskadash me'rabah means may God's name become great, may God's name become large. The theme of Kaddish is the expansion, the growth, the proliferation of God's name, of godliness in the world. What does that have to do with mourning? The answer is every human being is a unique expression of God. Every human being is a tselem elokim. When a human being dies, there's a piece of God that leaves this universe. There's an expression, a unique expression of the Almighty, which is no longer. So therefore, the correct response with a person's passing is, may God, the vacuum that has been created by their loss and the absence of that expression of God, may it be filled with godliness. That's why Kaddish is associated. So that's the same thing here. Apikorsis. If you're mavaza, if you embarrass, disparage, minimize, dismiss, disregard another human being, if you, if you think they're worthless, then you are essentially failing to see. You're denying the godliness in everyone. And that in itself is a form of apikorsis. Then we get to Moshe Rabbeinu now begins the memories. He recounts and recalls the episode of the Meraglim, the episode of the spies, which we're going to go through uh, in depth. It then uh, it continues with the uh, traveling of the land and the wars that they fought. God commands the Jewish people to walk towards Israel, the conquest of Og, Melech Abashan, the negotiation, we just had this a couple weeks ago, Reuven, God, and Chatzim Menasha, east of the Yardin. And they expand the boundary of Israel. Moshe Rabbeinu does get to go into Israel. We spoke about um, he does get to enter Israel because they expanded the boundary eastward. Moshe Reuven, God, and half of Menashe. Okay, so let's go back and study our section. What I want to look at together today is Perak Aleph, chapter number one. Let's see, chapter one, verse twenty-two. Perak Aleph, pasuk chav beis. It's on page 944. 944 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. And here... Well, remember that through, through referencing the different places, Moshe has already identified some. It's not. He's already identified some of the uh, episodes that happened. So it's not... It, it's, it is appropriate. Pasuch Avez. V'atikravun elai kulchem v'atomru. You approached me, Kulchem, all of you. You all approached me and you said, let's send men ahead of us. Let them, let them explore the land. And they will return to us, Davar. They'll tell us what is the path that we should ascend and the cities that we should come upon. Says Rashi. You came in chaotically. Later on in Perakei, 
referencing a different episode, Moshe is going to say, you approached me in an orderly fashion. The elders, the statesmen, the politicians. But here's Birubuvia, the young people, the old people, people pushing against one another. Also, that time you approached me, that was proper. The young people honored the elders. And they allowed the older people to go first. Here, when it came to the desire to send spies, you came upon me chaotically. Young people threw the old people out of the way. It was like a shul kiddush. <laughs> the young people were pushing around the old people. The old people were pushing around the leadership. Everything was birbuvia. Everything was mixed up. Moshe Rabbeinu is incredulous. He's, uh, he's, he's had it in recalling and recounting this event. This is, uh, Sforno points this out too, Pasuk of Beis. says the Sforno, right? He goes out of his way, the Pasuk, and says, Even though you had leadership, even though you had officials who were designated to come and relay your needs to me, you all came upon me. You rallied against me. You came to me. This is the beginning of his, of his criticism for the manner in which they did it. So what's going on? What's the problem with it? Look at this Kliyakar. Says the Kliyakar. Pasuk Chavbez. Says Rav Lunchitz. First he quotes Rashi. Lama lo hizkir achshav kreva shamatan Torah. Moshe Leib Stewart, he wants to know, why aren't we talking here about matan Torah? He says, When it came to Matan Torah, I was I was impressed. There was order. You were orderly. Listen to what the Kliyakar says. Moshe Leib, you asked, why don't we begin chronologically? Moshe should recount Matan Torah. And only then the Chetam Meraglam. What's going on here? So he says, this is a criticism of the Matan Torah. He does begin with Matan Torah. Ah, how does the Irbuvia, how does the chaotic request for spies, for agents... How is that? What does that have to do with Matan Torah? So he says the following: When at Matan Torah, the young people said to the older people, "No, no, you go first. You accept the Torah." And the older people said to the leader, "No, no, you go. You receive the Torah. Here, you take the front row seat." Moshe Rabbeinu said, "Ah, oh, what a people! Mika Amchi Yisrael. Look at the honor, the dignity. Look at the way they treat each other." But now it's time to go into Israel. What's going into Israel at this point? It's winning the lottery. Huge fruit, getting land, inheriting a portion. It's material. It's physical. Now, everyone's pushing the other person out of the way. Now, they're having a riot trying to get to the front of the line to be the first one to inherit land. Says the Kliakar, this is Moshe's criticism. He says, I thought that you were dignified at Matan Torah, I thought you were motivated by honor. But now I see, no. When it came to spirituality, 
you, you take the front row in the shear. You go sit in the front in the shul. I want, I'll be in the back shmuzin. I'll miss the shear. There's not enough seats. You go to the shear. It's okay. I won't make it there. It's not that they were motivated to give honor. It's because when it came to the pursuit of spirituality, everyone was willing to defer to others. When it came to the pursuit of the material, they pushed each other out of the way to get to be the front of the line. So an incredible insight of the Kliyakar. Here Moshe Rabbeinu is not skipping Matan Torah. He's beginning with Matan Torah, but in his veiled way. When you descended upon me, when you came in the manner in which you came, in such contradistinction to the way in which you approached Matan Torah, it showed your true motivation. Spirituality? Ah, others can go first. Materialism? Ooh, I got to push and get to the front of the line. Continues the Kliyakar. Kliyakar says nothing's changed. It's the same thing too today. Somebody has to sit and learn. You say, uh, you, it's okay, you do it, go ahead. Somebody's going to be on time to minion. Yeah, you, you take the seat. It's okay. You go ahead. When it comes to Torah, we're willing to defer. But when it comes to the pursuit of money, nobody says, I, I won't even say money, right? In this analogy, in the shul, it's all the older people sit in the front and the younger people uh, want to be in the back. Right? Everyone complains. The young people are lined up against the back wall and they're in the lobby. They're happy to defer to the older people to sit in front in the shul. When you get to the kiddush, the young people are elbowing. The young people are elbowing and fighting and pushing and throwing the older people out of the way. I wish I was joking. And this is the lashon of the kliyakr. Kol You know what kol dalungvar means? Whoever is the strongest wins. Meaning whoever can throw the sharpest elbow. When it comes to the Kiddush, where, what happened to the respect and the honor and the dignity that you showed when it came to the seating plan in Shul? So what was true then, says the Kliyakar, remains true today. I'm just deciding whether to continue. It's a long Kliyakar. It's a long Kliyakar. Uh, you can finish it on your own. But he takes the same theme, his answer here, and he continues to apply it to interpret the uh, the psukkah. Okay, continuing. Continuing next pasuk. Actually, beforehand, davar. What did the pasuk say? We d- we discussed this previously in Parsha Shlach, but I'm going to tell you again. It's Mishnah Torah. If Moshe could repeat himself, I can too. So, v'yashivu davar. What was their mission? The spies that were sent as agents. What was their mission? Bring us back, v'yashivu osanu. Bring us back. Davar. What is davar? Comes from dibur, dvarim. Bring us back a report. Bring us back words. Bring us back words. What would I think the words would be about? Like the pasuk continues. What's the derech hashanaleba? What path should we ascend? Should we come from the east, the west, the south? How should we come in? What city should we conquer first? But that's not what Rashi says. Zog Rashi, the Yeshiva Osano Davar, bring us back a Davar. Be'eze lashon heim medabrim. Go find out what language. Listen in. I want you to go listen. Go find out what language they're speaking. Go find. Go listen in. NSA. Maraglim. Go to Israel and be in their ears. 
don't know if you saw this article in Times of Israel last week. It's an unbelievable article. There's a book that came out that suggests that prior to the President Clinton scandal, scandal becoming public, at Y, when Bibi was uh, negotiating with Clinton uh, about peace in Israel, before anyone knew about the Clinton scandal, the Israelis knew because they apparently had the Oval Office bugged. And, uh, and this is what the book claims, the article in Times of Israel says, Bibi told Clinton, if you release Pollard, we'll destroy the tapes. And if you remember, Clinton decided he would release Pollard to the point that Pollard was told he was being released. It's only when the head of the intelligence community told Clinton, I will resign if you let him out, that Clinton rescinded on his decision. So is, the, is it true that the reason he decided was because he was threatened with the tapes? I don't know. But just the, uh, the, just the thesis that the Israelis had the Oval Office bugged, right, it makes it good. But we now know the NSA, everybody's listening in on everybody. So the Pusik says... No, that Israel, that Israel had heard and said Israel had the tapes of the president and his activities and said, uh, if you release uh, Pollard, we'll destroy the tapes. Was before the scandal was public, and then so Clinton had agreed. But then, um, what's his name? Weinberg. No, it wasn't Casper Weinberg. He wrote the terrible memo. But I forgot his name. Who said that if I uh, if you release Pollard, I will resign? Um, no, 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 no. It's on the tip of my it's on the tip of my tongue. But anyway, why am I? I don't want to. It's not worth. Believe me. It's not worth talking about this scandal in our Parsha class. But Rashi says, what is the mission? What is the task? Go listen in. Listen in. Find out. I shared this with you previously. In his commentary on Rashi and Chumash. What do you mean? You're going to investigate a land that you're going to conquer. You know, the, the recognizance mission in Gaza. If you're going to attack is you want to know the topography. You want to know the layout. You want to know the the military positions, you want to know uh, the weather, you want to know a million things, what they're talking about. Who cares? Says the Maharal, because what people speak about says everything about them. You will learn everything about your enemy that you need to know by listening and by eavesdropping. What people speak about says everything about them. We should be careful. I've quoted this before. I think it's Eleanor Roosevelt who famously said that great uh, small people talk about, what is it? How does this go? Average people talk about things. Small people talk about people. Great people talk about ideas. Great people talk about ideas. Average people talk about things. Small people talk about people. What you talk about says everything about you. Go listen in on what they are. Go listen in on what they are saying. Okay, Says Moshe, when you approached me for these, uh, to go spy to investigate the land, I liked the idea. I thought it was a good idea. And I said, take 12 men, one per tribe. Says Rashi. Says Rashi. I was taken by the idea. I gave consent. But not a Kurdish Baruch, not the Ribbon Shalom. So I don't understand. If Moshe, you thought it was a good idea, why are you coming and rebuking the people now? Says Rashi, 
So you go to buy a car and you say to the uh, salesman, can I try out the car? He says, sure. Can I take it on the highway? Sure. Can I go on the rough terrain? Absolutely. I don't need to test it out. I'll buy it. Why? Because if you were willing so quickly to let me do it, then I have no problem. So that was Moshe's strategy. Moshe said, sure, investigate. There's nothing to hide. See the land, investigate it. It's going to be wonderful. We'll conquer it, no problems. Moshe says, my hope was that you would see that I said no problem and you'd say, never mind. We don't need spies. We're ready. Let's go. But it didn't work. It backfired. It backfired. Says the Orachayim Akadosh. It was an interesting verb that Pasuk used in the last Pasuk. We translate it as investigate the land. But what does Chofer mean to dig? So we said dig means investigate. Right? You want to find out about someone, what do you do? You're digging for some dirt on them. Digging for dirt on them. Go to Israel, go to Eretz Canaan, and dig for some dirt. Find out what's going on. But literally translates biach baru. Says the Orachayim, quoting from the Medrash Yalkut, Pasha Shlach, that no, they were sent to literally dig. What were they looking for? Tunnels. The Canaanim had dug tunnels in Israel, not to kidnap anybody, but to hide the money. Go find the tunnels. Vaomro and Moshe Rabbeinu says. Be'enai, in my eyes, perish, anishe'enai basali, ava be'enai bochein levavos, lo. In my eyes, it was a good idea, but in the eyes of Hashem, no. That's why he uses the words be'enai. Says the Ramban, and I took, selected 12 men, lo shavachosam benesiusam, the Yosem Rashi ben Israel. From this Pasuk, it sounds like Moshe found 12 homeless people inside the street. In Pasha Shlach, when he originally selects them, speaks of their exaltedness, their grandeur, their praise, their prestige, their prominence. And here, they're uh, shlobs, nabuchs, homeless people. Ah, I, t- I found 12 guys who were willing to go. Says the Ramban, why? This is a punishment. They failed Moshe Rabbeinu in this mission. They failed the Jewish people with dire consequences. You're going to recount it and say, I chose 12 prominent, prestigious men. See, I found 12 men who turned out to be... And that's why the Ramban says, Moshe here just lists them as 12 men, but does not bestow praise upon them. Continue. Pasuk Chavdalet. Vayifnu vayalu ahara, vayiraglu osa. And we turned, and they went up the mountain, and they came to Nachal Ashkol, and vayiraglu osa. What is vayiraglu? Like miraglim, they investigated the, uh, the land. They went to go see the land. Um, look at the Yorachayim. Perish lokemosha amru Yisrael lomosha v'yach perulanu ela ragluosa. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. What was the piece they were supposed to do? V'yach peru. They were going to go discover the tunnels. Find where the money the Kananim had hidden is. But they didn't. Instead, v'yiraglu. What is v'yiraglu ladas? They changed the mission. They were not supposed to go check out the people. They were supposed to go find the wealth. And they 
uh, changed the mission, and that's why they ended up failing in their mission. They took in their hands from the fruit of the land. They brought it back to us. And they brought us back davar. So Moshe recounts that the first thing they said, what there was no debate about, was how good the land is. There was no debate about how good and how special and how beautiful the land was. That there was unanimity upon. Rashi says, Rashi says, no, it wasn't unanimity. Vayomru means just Yoshua and Kalev. Just Yoshua and Kalev. But the Ramban sees it differently. The Ramban says, Vayomru, pronoun, Vayomru, it doesn't say who they, the they is Yoshua and Kalev, the other ten did not see the good of the land. But the Ramban doesn't like that. Look at the Ramban. First he quotes Rashi, Vani Tama, but I'm bewildered. So then what's the complaint against the Jewish people? If in fact ten of them said the land is bad, and only two said the land is good, you send twelve people to check out a house you're thinking of buying. They come back. Ten say the house has termites, the house is poorly designed, the house needs a lot of work. Two say it's wonderful. You're going to buy the house? You'd be crazy. Ten to two say don't buy the house. Ten to two say the land is lousy. So the Ramban says, if Rashi's right, that only two said the land is good, then how could you possibly blame the people for the way they reacted? So the Ramban has a different interpretation. Moshe Viara Machola Eda. No, all twelve spies agreed. There was unanimity. Bonu Alarata Shashalachtanu, Vigamzaras Halavid Vashi, Vizepiria, Vinekulam Baskamachas, Betovazarats. When it came to describing the land, all twelve came back and said it's a magnificent house. It's perfect. It's in mint condition. It's incredibly designed. It's moving. So what's the problem? Avabachoza Kaame Mahem Hemasu Eslavavam. Ten of them said, however, even though it's beautiful and it's perfect, the neighborhood, it's going to be hard to move in. The people, I don't know. When they saw that Yoshua and Kalev were fortified, had fortitude and said, let's go, after me. We're going to inherit the land, we're going to conquer the land. The other ten came and said, I just, you should know it's not going to be so easy. Yes, it's beautiful. Yes, it's magnificent. It's not going to be so easy. So says the Ramban, that's why the people were to blame. At that point, if you heard the land is beautiful, and God has promised you that you will conquer the land, then you should listen to the two over the ten. If, all, if ten to two said the land is horrible, you say, God lied, he's wrong, the land's horrible, what do you do? we're not going anywhere. But if already all twelve unanimously say the land is great, it's just a ten say, it's going to be hard to conquer, and the two say, what are you talking God told us it's not a problem. Then the people should listen to God. So we have a fundamental machlokas, a debate between Rashi and the Ramban. How did it go down? The story of the Maraglam. The Vayomru, they said, Tovah arts, the land is good. Rashi says that they, it's Kalev and Yoshua, ten to two said the land is bad. And that's why the people listened. Says the Ramban, the people listen. What are you talking about? Then don't blame the people for listening ten to two. Rather, everybody agreed the land is great. Two said, now let's listen to God and go get it. 
Ten said, I don't know, it's going to be hard. And that's why the people are punished. And Moshe here rebukes them because they should have listened to the ten. They should have listened rather to the two over the over the ten. And you did not uh, go up and listen to uh, and listen to Hashem. You didn't wish to go up, and instead of going up, what did you do? Vatamru, Mirida, Mara. You were bitter. You rebelled against Hashem. Against Hashem. Says the Sforno and Pasuk Havav. Where was the failure? Where did they go wrong? You revealed in your reaction to the report that you never intended on sending the spies as a simple strategic mission. Of course we're going. Of course we're journeying. Of course we're conquering Israel. We just need to know strategically how to come in. That's what you told me this was about. But through the way you reacted, you revealed that really what it was about all along was... Right? In other words, Moshe thought, according to the Sforno, they come and they said, we want to see the land. Moshe says, yeah, that's a, that's a good idea. We're going. Bags are packed. Shem has told us he's giving us the land. But it's, it's only prudent. It's only wise. It's only responsible to go see which way to, to, to go about it. But from the way you react, Moshe says retroactively, now I understand, you never intended to just go see which way to go. You were going to see whether we should go all together. You hesitated. You doubted. Despite God's assurance that it wouldn't be a problem, you hesitated. And now the way you reacted reveals your original, your original mistake even in the way, even in the way that you went. Okay, continues. You went into your tents and you spoke so negatively and you said, because God doesn't like us, He hates us. He took us out of Egypt to deliver us in the hands of Emori. You were so ungrateful. You spoke such negativity. They were so intimidated. You said, where are we going to go up? Our brothers have scared us. The people there are, are bigger and taller and stronger. The cities are fortified. Even their children are giants. We have no chance. Absolutely not. And I tried to allay your fears. I told you, what are you worried about? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You of all people should not be afraid. You saw, your parents saw the revealed miracles of the plagues in Egypt, of the splitting of the sea, of the giving of the Torah. And yet you doubted. In the desert you saw God carried you the way a person carries their child. God carried you. Until you came to this place, and regarding this thing, you do not believe, you do not trust God. God who goes before you to find where to encamp, using the pillar of fire at night, the great light provided, and the cloud during the day. You didn't trust God, He promised He would bring you. And you didn't trust him. 
need to trust him. What was this Badavar Azeh? Pasuk Lamed Days. Badavar Azeh inchem ma'aminim b'ashem. Regarding this thing, you didn't believe God. What's Davar Azeh? Again, it's ambiguous. What's Badavar Azeh? This thing. This. This word. But what word? Which word of God? Which word of God? Says Rashi. Shehu maftichachem laviachem el ha'aretz inchem ma'aminim bo. God promised you he's bringing you into the land. And you didn't believe him. And you didn't believe him. The Yorachayim HaKadosh disagrees with Rashi. Now, Tzorach Ladas Kavanaz Umar B'davar Zeh Rashi Perishal Tachaz B'yasa Aretz M'davar Eino Nira Kain Says the Yorachayim I disagree. I don't think Davar Zeh is referring to B'yasa Tachaz Tachaz Aretz The promise to come into the land. Ela Kipshat HaKosav Sh'al Nisei Midbar Hu Asher Nasa Hashem Kashisa Ishez Benosh Shagam B'davar Zeh Enchem Ma'aminim You didn't believe God would carry you on his shoulder Like a parent carries a child. You denied God, denied God would have the affection, that God would protect, that God would carry you. So what's the Badavar Azeh? What is it exactly they were in denial of? That is the Machlokas between Rashi and the Or HaChayim. Continuing. Hold on, just I, have to, I want to get to one other point. God heard the sound of your voice. It's very interesting. Why is it described by Hashem as called Divrechem? He heard the sound. We find this a few times. In Mitzrayim, what did God hear? Vayishmas koleinu. He heard our outcry. We spoke about it in the woman's shear this past Shabbos. Vayishmas koleinu. When does God respond to liberate us from Egypt? Not with the words we use, but the, 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 the oi, the cry, the grief, because there's nothing more authentic, there's nothing more sincere. So this is the reverse. Vayishmas shemes kol divrechem. He hears the koleinu, not with the sincere cry to God, help us, but the sincere cry of, Oi, what are we going to do? We can't go into Israel. God, in other words, knows what's really in our hearts. Like tough, and God got angry, and He swore, No one from this wicked generation is going to see the land. The only ones who will go in are, Only one going in is Kalev, Ben Yifuna, and we know Yoshua as well. So this next passage I want to end with by asking a great question. What does Moshe Rabbeinu now end the story of the Maraglim? He recounted the whole episode of the Maraglim. And God get angry at me also because of you, saying, Moshe Rabbeinu now turns to them and says in the aftermath of recounting the spies, and as a result of the spies, God got angry at me also, and I too can't go in. Only Yoshua will go in. It's interesting, he broke it up. He said, no one from the generation could go in, except for Kalev. And I too can't go in. Oh, and also Yoshua could go in. Kalev and Yoshua should have been paired. That's question number one. What's question number two? Why was Moshe not allowed to go into Israel? Not for that reason. It had nothing to do with the Miraglim. Moshe wasn't allowed to go into Israel because of because of the rock named Mariva. The hitting the rock was it that he got angry? Was it that he said he was the one who provided the water? We have a big machal because we showed him literally dozens of opinions. But whatever the case may be, it was May Mariva. It was the episode with the rock. What's Gambi? Gambi is Sanaf Hashem Big Lachem. This is the Orachaim's question. Kasha, we didn't find God in Parsha Shlach getting angry at Moshe with the Maraglim. So the Ramban interprets, the Orachim quotes him, Ramban perish, Omar, Saftim, Says the Ramban, Moshe didn't mean to suggest 
God got angry at him because of the spies. He's in the middle of reminding them of the times that they misbehaved, that God got angry. He says, oh, and you also misbehaved another time that God got angry, namely the uh, Memoriva. But that doesn't really work with the Pesukim. The Orachayim doesn't like the Ramban. Ain't Dvarav Nirim. Because we go back to talking about the Maraglam. And it says that Yoshua could go in. And the end of this section is the Maraglam. So if Moshe was not talking about the Maraglam, was just reminding them of another time that they had been rebellious, so why would, why would you interrupt the middle of the section of the Maraglam with that idea? So the Rechaim HaKadosh gives a different answer. And he says, Hanachonhu. The Medrash says in Bamid Baraba, that the people cried that night. When they went back to the tents and they cried, God established an inauspicious day of crying in perpetuity, namely, Monday night. Today, a week from today, Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av. Had Moshe been successful in entering the land, and to build the Beis HaMikdash, if Moshe had successfully led the people into Israel, a, built, a Beis HaMikdash built under his leadership could never have been destroyed. Nobody could have touched it. It was untouchable. Why does it say Mizmor Lasaf? It should say Kina. If the Jews had successfully entered and built the base of Mikdash under Moshe's leadership, such a base of Mikdash could not have been destroyed. So God would not have been able to destroy a base of Mikdash. Where would he have had to pour out his wrath on? The Jewish people on the Jewish people. So Moshe had to die in the Midbar so that he couldn't enter and build a base of Mikdash that couldn't be destroyed so that the people would be punished. So all of that he blames on on the Meraglim. Without your Avon Meraglim, if we would have entered the land, he might have gone too and he might have built the base of Mikdash and they would have lasted in the land but only because of their failure did God say I can't I don't want to ever have to destroy them so I need a base of Mikdash which is vulnerable so it can't be built by Moshe so Moshe will have to remain in the land that's the Orachayim HaKadosh's somewhat creative answer somewhat creative answer the Ramban we saw gave an answer the Kliyakar also has a third answer yeah conspiracy theory the uh, Kliyakar has a third answer here as to why Moshe did not enter the land. I want to look at the Kliyakar inside. I want to end by reviewing with you what we said in Parsha Shlach. If you remember, we studied Parsha Shlach together, mostly based on an interpretation of the um, of Rav Chaim Yaakov Goldberg Zatzal, Rosh Hashiva of Karim Biavna. You remember we set it up that the Miraglim who went in were great men. They were Nasim, they were Tamid and they were Tzadikim. Anashim Chashivim Rashi says there in Parsha Shlach. How could it be they failed so miserably? So do you remember what their failure was, we said? It was a noble failure. Their failure, remember the Zohar said they were worried they were going to lose their job? We said, how could it be that these great righteous men were worried they were going to lose their job? So we explained the answer is that um, what was the lifestyle they had in the desert? It was a cola life. They had everything provided for them. They had protection. They had food. 
they had water, they had a GPS, their clothing, their clothing grew with them and never got worn out. They had everything they needed. Maraglim came back and they saw Israel and they said, if we go in there, we've got to set up an army, and a judicial system, a police force, an agricultural system. We're going to have to work. We want to have a total lifestyle. And that's why they reported as they did. So I want to suggest, God got angry at me for the same, if you remember, for the same reason. In Parshas Chukas, with Meim Riva, we suggested, why did Moshe not merit to go into Israel? I don't want to recount the whole thing. It took us an hour to say it then. Not because it wasn't a punishment. It was a description of reality. Moshe Rabbeinu was told when he was recruited to be the leader, he said, Lo anochi. I am not a man of words, which is fascinating. But Moshe, I'm not a man of words. When God wants to draw water from the rock, what does he say to Moshe? Speak. I would humbly suggest that God was saying to Moshe, have you learned the power of speech? What's the power of speech? The Maharal writes, speech is the bridge between the physical world and the spiritual world. It's how we connect the two. How do we communicate the world of thought, the world of emotion, the world of creativity, the world of spiritual, through speech, the power of speech. Speech is what bridges the world of the Ruchnius and Gashmius. Moshe Rabbeinu had a poor communication because he was so heavily tilted towards a world of Ruchnius. He was so elevated, so transcendent above the physical world that he had trouble speaking. He couldn't create that bridge because he was so elevated, says the Maharal. That's why he was Loishtvarimanochi. So I'd like to suggest that God said to Moshe, Speak to the rock. Let's see, have you learned how to operate in the physical world? And what does Moshe Rabbeinu do? He doesn't speak to the rock. God says, You were the perfect leader in the Midbar. A kola life needs a Rosh Hashiva. Needs somebody who's purely spiritual. But going into the land, now you need a Yehoshua. Now you need a person who can fight, who can go out to war, who can operate in the physical world. So if that's the case, that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't go into Israel, not as a punishment, but as a reality, so now maybe that's why Moshe links his punishment with the Jewish people. Because the Chet Maraglim was the exact same thing as him. It was a mistake of, of a generation in a Kola life needed a leader who was consistent with that spiritual existence. Have a fantastic week, a wonderful Shabbos.